series on thankful. Thankful. So uh, if you got your Bibles with you today, uh, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, and we're going to start in verse 18. We're glad you're here today. We believe that God's going to speak to us today. He's going to help us today, and and we're going to all get something today out of this message about being thankful. So 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, in the New Living Translation. It says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So today, we're going to talk about something a little bit different, but still on the lines of being thankful. So if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is The Comparison Trap. The Comparison Trap. So we want to continue the series about being thankful. Now, we, we mentioned this last week, but let me say this again. God's will for your life is that we're thankful, is that we live thankful lives. If we, we live lives that are full, not busy, full, full of the right things, full of the good things, full of God things, full of peace, full of joy, full of uh, satisfaction, full of contentment, full of uh, the plan and purpose of God, full of his calling, full of his presence. God wants us to live thankful lives, lives that are full of the right things. And we only uh, get to uh, receive that into our life when we are thankful people. And we see that in 1 Thessalonians 5, this is kind of our key verse for these uh, messages. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18, it says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. It is God's will for us that we're thankful. Now, how many want to know what God's will is? Can, we, can you raise your hand if that's you? Now, that's one of the most asked questions on the planet. What is God's will? Be thankful. Now, we didn't want that answer. We wanted a different answer. We wanted your call to be a millionaire and a billionaire. Your call to live on a house in the, in the hills that's your dream house. You're called to have a new car. You're called to get a new job. You're called to do this. You're called to be a leader. You're called to be popular. You're called to have all the money and everything you want. And God says, the will of God for my life is that we're thankful. We're thankful. That's God's will. And there's not a lot of things in the Bible that God just blatantly says, this is my will. Hello. You need to do this. And God says, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is my will for you. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is my will for you. Notice, once again, we just want to keep our theology straight. We are not thankful for everything that happens to us, but we can be thankful in all the things that happen to us. Because everything that happens to you is not always from God. Can I get an amen? Not everything that comes to you in life is from God. But God says you can be thankful in all circumstances, not for all circumstances, because it is my will for you. And your thankfulness and your thanksgiving is what pulls you out of those hard times, is what pulls you through those difficult times, is your thankfulness. That's why he says you need to be thankful when the circumstances don't line up with what you want. Because your thankfulness and your thanksgiving will pull you through those situations. Or like we said last week, being thankful makes what we have more than enough. And so it's God's will for us. It's interesting to to, to think about this. We all are praying that we know God's will. But if we won't do God's written will, why would he speak to you about anything else in your life that is the will of God? He already wrote this down. This is the will of God for your life. But if we won't do his written word or his written will, he will not give us anything else to do. Come on, is that not the truth today? Because why would God do that? He would be wasting his time and wasting his breath talking to us when we won't even do the things that are written down in his will. And so if we want to know God's will, this would be a good place to start. 
Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. This is God's will for you. So we want to be thankful, and we need to live thankful lives. Now let's go over at Philippians 4, verse 10. And we're going to get into the heart of this message. And we're going to read Philippians 4, in verse 10. And this is written by the Apostle Paul to a church at Philippi. Now, before we read this verse, and we have it on the screen so you can read it from the New Living Translation. But before we read this verse, you need to understand the context of what and where this verse was written. Paul, who is an apostle, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, is writing this to a church at Philippi, needing some help, needing some some, uh, finances to come his way. Paul is in prison. He's not in a luxury hotel. He's not in a luxury vehicle. He's not in a a, a fancy neighborhood. He's not in a nice restaurant. He's in prison. Now, prisons back then are different than prisons today. Now, prisons today is good living in prisons today. You got three square meals a day. You got cable TV. You got workout equipment. I mean, it's pretty much a day spa at most prisons. But back then, it wasn't like that. The prisons in that time, in that day, a couple thousand years ago, was a hole in the ground that they locked the door and they didn't let you out. They didn't care if you ate or not. They didn't care if you drank or not. If you died, you died. So be it. There's no laws against it in those days. So they pretty much threw you in a pit and shut the door. And what happens, happens. It's not their fault. That's the prisons of their day. So imagine... Paul is writing to a church who's not in prison, who has no problems considering what Paul's going through. Paul is probably sitting at the bottom of a prison in his own feces. That's that's what was really happening. And Paul writes this to this church at Philippians. And what does he say? Philippians 4 and verse 10. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Now, verse 11, not that I was ever in need. Now he's in prison. They're not. Listen to what he's saying. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned, underline that in your Bible, as much as you can underline a word in your Bible. I have learned. I have learned how to be content. Now, we're going somewhere. you got to help me today. For with whatever I have. Let's go to the next verse. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned, once again, the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, whether with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So Paul says to this church, I have learned to be content with whatever state I am, with abundance or with nothing, with a full stomach or an empty stomach, with a little or a lot, I have learned how to be content. Now, you ready to learn something today? I have learned. I have learned this. Now, he's in prison once again. He's hungry. He's tired. He's cold. He's in prison. He's writing to a church who's probably outside of prison, and they're complaining about what they're going through. And Paul says, listen, you can get to the place where you can learn how to be content in whatever you are in life, whether you're at the best job you've ever had or the worst job you've ever had, whether you're driving the nicest car or the not nicest car, whether you're eating at the fanciest restaurants or you're eating at Mickey D's today, you can learn to be content. In whatever situation, and Paul said, I've learned this, meaning I didn't just end up here on accident. I learned this. I grew into this. It's not just a natural thing that we're content people. Do you guys know that, right? (laughs) We're not naturally content. So he says in verse 13, Philippians 4, 13. Now, this is why he could say that. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, we want to talk about contentment for a little bit here, and then we'll kind of change 
what we talk about and, and talk about the other side of it. Contentment. Uh, here's a definition of contentment I wrote down. Contentment is an inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of our outward circumstances. Contentment is an inner su- sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of outward circumstances. Contentment. He said, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content. I've learned to be at peace when everything's going wrong. I've learned to be at peace when I don't have a million dollars in the bank. I've learned to be at peace and settled and okay with it when I didn't have everything. I've learned that. And notice how he learned that because he can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So contentment, we're talking about contentment for a moment here. It's an inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of our outward circumstances. And it says, notice we have to learn to be content. None of us in here are naturally content. We're not born content. We don't live content. We have to learn and grow into it. And it's a lifetime process. A lifetime process. And and contentment is not a personality thing. It's not a personality thing. Because some of you that are more laid back and you don't talk so much, people say, well, they're very content. You don't know what's going on internally. Just because you're kind of laid back and chilled and you don't talk that much doesn't mean you're a content person. And those of you that are like that know that's the truth. Kind of like dad's referred to as the duck syndrome. You look smooth on top of the water, but under the water, you're pedaling like this. So you're really not settled on the inside. You just kind of have a chill, uh, you know, easygoing personality. That doesn't mean you're content. So contentment is a deeper thing, and it comes from God. And notice it's an inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of our outward circumstances. And it has to be learned. Has to be learned and grown into because we're not naturally content people. And Paul said, I have learned to be content whether I have everything or I have nothing, whether with a full stomach or an empty stomach, I have learned to be this because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Contentment. Now, here's one of the the biggest lies that we hear the enemy tell us. And the culture tells us the same thing. If you just got what you wanted, you would be happy. I got a lot of, hmm. If you just got the house you wanted, you'd be happy. You'd be content. If you just got the car you wanted, you'd be content. If you got the boat that you wanted to take to the lake, you'd be content. If you got the job you wanted, you would be content. If you got the family you wanted, you'd be content. If you got the the situation you wanted, you'd be content. It's a lie. Why? Because the only thing that will make you content and full of joy is I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Is Jesus alone and his ability to give you strength through any situation. That is the only place you will find lasting peace and contentment. Nowhere else will you find it. And Ecclesiastes says this all over the entire book, written by Solomon, who was the richest man who ever lived. He said in Ecclesiastes, chasing after things like that is like chasing the wind. You never catch it. It never satisfies you. And what does he say at the end of Ecclesiastes? Everything is worthless. Is pointless without God. That's what he says. And he's the wisest and the richest person who ever lived. I think we could take some wisdom from him. And he said that that mentality that, that when I get it, I'll be content. It's not true. It's not true. Because when you get it, You'll just want something different when you get it. And that's why Paul said, I have learned to be content whether I'm with a lot or little. Whether I have a full stomach or an empty stomach, I have learned to be content. Why? Because I'm content in Jesus and I'm content in the the power and ability 
that he says, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Knowing, how can I be content in this circumstance that's not going the right way? How can I be content in this? Because I know that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I know that I can do all things and go through all things through Christ who gives me strength. Come on, are you receiving what I'm saying this morning? So we can be content. But this idea that if I get more, I'll be content, it's not true. Chasing the wind. Or like a dog chasing its tail. It never ends. It's a sick cycle. And it never stops. Because those things were never meant to make us joyful and content and at peace. And they're only substitutes for the real thing. And so we know that when we look to other things to meet those needs... It will never satisfy us and it will never make us content. And what is Paul saying here? He's saying, if you're not content with a little, you're not going to be content when you have a lot. (laughs) If you're not content now, you're not going to be content in the future. And you thinking that something or someone is going to meet that need is completely not true. Now, I've said this before to the young people at the quarry before. If you're miserable single, you'll be miserable married. Come on now, somebody. Because the person is not going to fix you being content in a miserable person. Hello, somebody. If you're miserable poor, you're going to be miserable rich. Now, you'll be happy for a moment when you get some money, but then when, once that feeling wears off, you'll be back where you started. Now, we know this about, you know, Miss Jenny, you just got a new house. You love that new house right now. But 10, 15 years from now, you're not going to be maybe as excited as you were at the beginning. You'll be thankful, but you won't be as excited. I appreciate my truck. I'm thankful for it. But, you know, in a couple more years, I'll probably want a new one. Why? Because that feeling wore off. Why? Because it was never meant to satisfy you. Can't make you content. Can't make you full of peace. Can't make you full of joy. That's why Paul said, I have learned. And if anybody can say they've learned, somebody in prison can say they've learned. Who has some real life issues. Not first world problems. Hello, somebody. Like your cell phone didn't turn on. Or you didn't get to go to breakfast where you wanted to. Or you didn't have brunch at the favorite spot in Louisville, Kentucky. No, we're not, we're not talking about first world problems. We're talking about real life problems. Like you're in jail thousands of years ago, sitting in your own feces. Now that's real problems. And Paul said, I'm content. I'm content. Because I know I got Jesus. They can't take that away from me. And I know that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And he knew that even his time in prison was just temporary. He wasn't going to be there forever. That's why he says, I know I can get through this and I can be content and I can be full of peace because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I can make it through this prison stint because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Come on, you get something today. So we have to, just like the Apostle Paul says, learn to be content. Grow to be content. Pursue contentment. Do you hear me this morning? All of us in here need to pursue contentment. It's not just going to fall in your lap. It's not. We need to grow and learn and pursue this contentment that only comes from God. That inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of our outward circumstances. Contentment. Paul said, I've learned to be content, whether with a little or a lot, whether with a full stomach or an empty stomach. I've learned to be content in whatever situation I am. Isn't that what we all want to be? We all want to be that. Well, we have to learn it. And it takes time and it takes effort. It takes us pursuing it and pursuing the right things. And we need to learn those things. 
Now, we need to learn those things for us, but we need to learn them for others. Because when we are like that, the world is so attracted to people like that. Because everybody they know is the complete opposite in every way. So you're going to stick out. You're going to shine bright just by being a content person. Because nobody, I repeat, nobody, and most believers are not content at all. So people are going to see your life and say, I want what you have. You just got laid off and you're not freaking out. Why? Because you're content. Why? Because my joy and my contentment is not in my job, it's in him. And it's in me knowing I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You can be content and at peace with a bad doctor's report. And somebody says, why are you acting that way? Because it's not about this, it's about him. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And when you're the same yesterday, today, and forever like Jesus is, then you shine bright in this world. Then people sees you and says, I want the Jesus that you have. I want to go to the church that you go to. I want to know what you have received and, what, and what's different about you when we are content people. And I know that's the desire of all of us. We want to be people that live lives like that, don't we? We want to live lives like that in the world that people come to us, not for us, but we can show them the way to Jesus. Instead of us just walking by everybody else and they're thinking, well, they're just the same as I am. What's different about them than me? Nothing. But notice Paul said you could learn it. Now, somebody in prison could learn it. You can learn it. If someone who didn't know where their next meal was coming from could learn it, we can learn it. And he said, I've learned to be content in every situation. In everything that has happened to me, whether full or empty, I've learned to be content. You guys get something today? So, contentment. Contentment is something that that God wants for us and, and he desires for us to have that state of uh, sufficiency, that state of peace, that state of being settled when everything's going on, whether good or bad, full or empty, rich or poor, sick or healthy, that we can live in that place because of him and because we can do all things through him who gives us strength. Strength. So contentment. Contentment is something that we all want and we all need we're all chasing but a lot of times we're chasing it the wrong way like i said we're chasing it with things that will never satisfy never fill the void they will never stop you can't win you will constantly be chasing those things and even when you catch them it won't satisfy you so we're going to talk about the other side of this and I want to tell you the biggest enemy of contentment. Comparison kills contentment. Comparison kills contentment. Comparison kills contentment. Now we have a verse for that, 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 12 in the New Living Translation. Now, to tell you kind of the setting of what was going on in 2 Corinthians 10 is the Apostle Paul was preaching to this church at Corinth that he planted. And there was a bunch of other apostles that came in there that weren't genuine people, that were just trying to kind of take that church away from Paul. But Paul knew who he was in Christ. And he's talking about these other apostles that thought they were all that. And what does he say? He says, oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. Now, that's the other apostles who were trying to come in and take this church away from Paul. They weren't genuine people. But they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. I love in the New King James, it says, those who compare themselves among themselves are not wise. That's what it says in the New King James. When we compare ourselves among ourselves, we are unwise. 
Now, I want to tell you why comparison kills contentment. You want to know? Comparison kills contentment. I'll tell you some of the main reasons is this. Because when we compare ourselves to other people, it will lead us to two different places. And both are not good. When we compare ourselves among ourselves, we are not wise. We are ignorant people because we will either end up in pride or despair. Because when we compare ourselves to other people and we think we're doing better than they're doing, we're prideful. But then we look at other people that have more than us, that are doing more than us, that maybe we think are better off than we are, we leave in depression and despair. So when we compare ourselves among ourselves, no one ever wins. No one ever wins, especially not you. Because comparison is the killer of contentment. That's why most people aren't content today. Because we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. So comparison is the killer of contentment. We will either be in pride when we think we're better or well off than other people. Or we are in despair and depression when we don't have what others have. And it is killing us as a world. Comparison. Comparison kills our contentment. It kills our contentment. So we see that the rise of smartphones has been a blessing and a curse. Now I'm going to say some things that's going to convict all of us, including myself, because I'm addicted just like you are. Smartphones have been a blessing and a curse. It has blessed us because it's connected us with people all around the world. It's blessed us because we could just type in one thing and we could know anything about anything in a matter of seconds. We don't have to go to the library anymore. We don't even have to find a computer. We can look it up on Google. We can talk to Siri and ask them a question that years ago people would have to go to a library sit at a desk, and spend hours going through the Encyclopedia Britannica to try to find one little bit of information, and you could type it on your phone in a matter of seconds. It's been a blessing and a curse. Now, now really listen to what I'm about to say. So it's blessed us in a lot of ways, but also it's been a curse because the statistics have shown us over the past 10 years The level of anxiety and depression in people, but especially young people, has skyrocketed. And it's not because of just the day and age we live in or just they have bad home lives. They have connected all that to their use on a smartphone. Has been the main cause of the rising levels of depression and anxiety and especially social media. Now, I'm not saying that to say that I'm not on social media, because I am. But we need to talk honestly. That's what's really going on. And so it's been a blessing and a curse. But the curse is this. Used to, you could only compare yourself to the people you went to school with. Or your neighbors. Now you have billions of people to compare yourself with. So your self-worth goes way down because you're comparing yourself with not just one or two people, but millions and billions of other people that are different than you are. So guess what? Your contentment goes from here to here because when we compare ourselves, it kills contentment. That's why Paul says when you compare yourself to others, it's not wise. You will always lose. You will be in pride or despair, but you'll never be in contentment. And so cell phones have been a curse because they have enlarged our circle to the level that we are constantly comparing ourselves with other people, not just when we see them, but all day and all night. I'm not as pretty as her. I don't have the muscles he has. Look at this guy in Pakistan that just got a Lamborghini. Why don't I have a Lamborghini? Man, look at this guy. He just killed this buck in Alaska. 
and I can't even get anything in southern Indiana. What's the matter with me? I'm comparing myself. And it never stops because guess what? Your smartphone is in your hand all day. So all day you're comparing yourself and you're wondering why your anxiety level is going through the roof. You're wondering why your depression level is going through the roof because you're comparing yourself with everybody you're looking at. I'm preaching better than you're responding today. But especially for young people. And they said they've never seen the amount of teenagers and young adults with the level of anxiety and depression that is in our world today. And it's all directly linked to social media. Parents, hello somebody. It's all linked to social media. Because they're comparing themselves 24-7 to everybody on the planet. And you'll never win. So guess what? You're looking through everybody's profiles and your anxiety's going up every second. Because you're like, I don't have that. I can't do that. I'm not as good as that. And then you start being depressed. But us adults do the same thing. Comparison kills contentment. It kills it. And so technology has been a blessing and a curse. Because we have suffered from it by comparison. By being connected to everyone but not knowing really anyone. Now, come on, somebody. The levels of depression because people are lonely, but you have a 1,000 friends on Facebook. You have 2,000 likes on your picture, but you have no real friends. It's been a blessing and a curse, and we got to talk about it here on a Sunday morning because comparison kills contentment. They said like never before, they have high schoolers, middle schoolers, college-age people that can't even show up to school anymore because of depression. Not because of a physical issue. It's an emotional, spiritual issue. Depression. Because of comparison. I've heard somebody say this before, which is true. On social media, we see everyone else's highlight reel, not their behind-the-scenes. The reason we're depressed is because we see our behind the scenes. But we only see their highlight reel. You notice they don't post the picture when they got the bad doctor's report. They don't post the picture when they wake up and they got eye boogers. And their hair's going crazy and no makeup. They don't post pictures like that. They post pictures when they're at brunch with friends. They don't post pictures when they're eating McDonald's in the corner at school by themselves. (laughs) That's why it's unwise because you don't know the full story. And we compare ourselves to others and it kills our contentment. Because we see their highlight reel, not their behind the scenes. But trust me, they have a behind the scenes just like you have a behind the scenes. And we're basing our whole lives and our joy and our contentment on what somebody else has. Sometimes not even somebody we know. And so comparison kills contentment. Now you get something today. It used to be keeping up with the Joneses. You ever you, you heard of that? Some of you older people in here. Now it's keeping up with the Kardashians. Because social media. Are you here this morning? And so comparison is killing our contentment. It's killing it. For young and old. The thing is, it's made our circle so much bigger. We have so many more things to compare ourselves with. You know what, today, when I leave and I get on social media when I leave here, I follow a lot of churches and a lot of pastors. If I get on social media when I leave here and I scroll through social media, which I will, (laughs) and I look at what other churches are doing, 
you know what? In 30 minutes, I could be completely depressed and want to lay in the bed the rest of the day. Because I could scroll through people and say, look how many people got saved at their church today. We haven't seen that many people saved in 10 years. I could scroll through there and say, look, at there's, there's thousands of people at that congregation, and we only have a couple hundred. I'm depressed. I could scroll through there and, and say, well, they could preach like that. What about me? I can't. I'm nothing compared to the way they are. And notice, 30 minutes after your preacher preaches the message, I can be depressed. Because of comparison. And comparison will kill contentment. And the joy and the contentment I have right now because I know I'm doing what I'm called to do will leave suddenly when I get on social media and scroll through all the other churches. Look how big their church is. Look at the technology their church has. Look at their praise and worship. Look at the person preaching. Look how many people got saved. Look how many people got baptized. What are we doing? We're not doing anything as a church. And you can go down that road and 30 minutes later, I'm done. Anybody going to be honest enough to say you've done the same thing? (laughs) Comparison kills contentment. And I'm not saying I haven't done that because I've done it a lot of Sundays. A lot of Sundays. But the thing is, when we compare, we never win. We will be in pride or despair. Because I could do the same thing for a church down the road who has 50 people, smaller building. I could think, oh, we got it going on at Church on the Rock. (laughs) we making it at church on the rock. We're next level at church on the rock because look at this church only has 50 people, but you never win. Pride or despair. Comparison kills contentment. So we try to keep up with the Kardashians. Try to keep up with whoever it is in your circle who you look up to. Whoever it is in your neighborhood, who's the it person? Or at your job, who's the it person? Or the school, they're the coolest person. So i got to keep up with them. So let me take, take a selfie about my life and, and what all I have going on. When it's not you anyways. And we get caught up in it because comparison kills contentment and we will never win. It's an endless cycle. No matter how many houses you move into or how many cars you have or how many trips you take, you will never be content trying to keep up with everybody else. It's an endless cycle. Now, one of my favorite shows of all time is VeggieTales. (laughs) And uh, how many love VeggieTales in here? God bless VeggieTales. Not the new VeggieTales, the old VeggieTales. Isn't that right? On the VHS. Now, we still show the kids the VHS in the back because we, we're some real church people around here. We're not going to put it on a DVD or on Netflix. No, this is a VHS. That's real VeggieTales before it was tainted by all this new technology. But there's a VeggieTales called Buzzsaw Louie. Y'all remember that? About Christmas. And... Um, so what happens is this whole town, it's about Christmas. Now we're coming up on the Thanksgiving and Christmas season. On um, that episode, there's Buzzsaw Louie. And Buzzsaw Louie is a toy that everybody wants. Now, have you ever experienced that before? There's certain Christmas seasons where there's a toy that everybody wants. Now, mom has so many stories about this, about through the years, how she just valiantly fought off people to find these Toys that nobody else could get. Like when Jessica was little, she found, I guess, Cabbage Patch dolls were in. And she found this Cabbage Patch doll that nobody could find. And she searched for days and hours to find it. And she got it for Christmas. Now, one year she did that for me and Star Wars stuff. And she had to go to all these stores. And she acts like she walked 15 miles in the snow. <laughs> because these Star Wars figurines were the thing to have. And if I didn't have them... I was going to be dead, and I wasn't going to be able to even show up to school anymore if I didn't have a Star Wars toy. And so she went through everything, and she found these Star Wars toys that I still have today. And she fought through everything because it was a toy in season. So Buzzsaw Louie is like the must-have toy in this VeggieTales. And what happens is this whole town 
starts being so ungrateful and unthankful, especially the kids, because they're saying, I want this toy. I want this toy. And it's promoting this idea of getting more and more and more. And you have to have it to be happy. And you have to have it to be satisfied and content. And so on this toy, when you press it, it says, you need more toys. That's what Bust All Louis says. <laughs> so, it, so it's kind of brainwashing these kids. He's like, you need more toys. And then when he presses the Bust All Louis again, he says, Billy has more toys than you. Okay, here's the best part. Because we do the same thing. He goes into the other room and he says, Mom, Billy has more toys than me. And she goes, who's Billy? I don't know, but he has more toys than me. (laughs) But don't we do the same thing? Who's that on social media you're looking up to? I don't know, but they have more cars than I do. Who's that you're looking up to? I don't know, but they're prettier than I am. I have no idea who they are. Why are you comparing yourself with that person? I don't know, but they have a better house than I do. Come on, are you getting something this morning? And we compare ourselves among ourselves, and we're not wise. And the comparison kills our contentment. So we're not too far off from Buzzsaw Louie. Billy has more toys than you. All right, Mom. Billy has more toys than I do. Who's Billy? I don't know, but he has more toys than I do. And we all do the same thing with our life. Well, Fred has a better set of golf clubs than I do. Who's Fred? I don't know, but I saw him on social media. He has an awesome set of golf clubs. Well, Tina just got a new purse. Who's Tina? I don't know, but she has a really nice purse on social media, and so I need to get a new purse. Comparison kills contentment. Are you hearing me this morning? And so we need to be careful because I know almost all of us in here, not everybody, but almost all of us are addicted to our smartphones. We are addicted to social media. And we need to be super careful because it's killing our contentment every time we scroll through it. It's making our depression and our anxiety go up every time we go through it because we're thinking about what we don't have and what others have. When that's none of our concern, we need to be thankful for what God has given us. Be a thankful people because comparison will kill contentment. But notice, thankfulness is really the birthplace of contentment. Let's look at another verse. We're going to close with this. 1 Timothy 6 and 6. Did you guys get something today? I encourage you to go rent that VeggieTales later on about Buzzsaw Louie. Bless me. I tell you lately, because in Joshua series, you know, I, I looked up on YouTube, Joshua and the Big Wall, and just watched it. I'm like, I need to get back into VeggieTales. This is awesome. I forgot about all, I mean, when you're little, you appreciate it. But then when you get older, you're like, these people are a genius who wrote VeggieTales. I'm just encouraging you. Dive into it. It's good Bible study. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6 and the New Living Translation. It says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. And we can't take anything with us when we leave it. Verse 8, so if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Now, the context of the verses here is he's warning Timothy. Paul is warning Timothy, who was a son in the faith, about this idea of comparison and this idea of getting more, 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 because it never satisfies you. This idea of I have to have it all, I have to have money, I have to have this. And so Paul, the same Paul who wrote Philippians and said, I've learned to be content in whatever state I am, is the same Paul who wrote this to Timothy. 
really exhorting him, but also warning him about the dangers of this mentality. I got to get more. I got to get more. I got to get more. I got to keep up with the Kardashians and everybody else, or I'm not happy. So let's read that verse one more time in Timothy. It says, Godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. That's a different thing than the world says. The world says great wealth is you just having a lot of stuff. God says the real wealth is godliness and contentment. And notice he says, why? After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. Did you? Nope, you didn't bring anything with you. And we can't take anything with us when we leave it. When we all leave the planet, you don't get to keep it. When we all go to heaven and we pass on, guess what? Your family and friends are going to get all the stuff that you're so concerned about right now. In verse 8, it says, so if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Let us be content. It goes on, and after this portion of Scripture in this chapter, it says that people that pursue those things, they pursue riches, they pursue trying to keep up with everybody, they compare themselves among themselves, it says that they end in destruction. Because there's no winning living a life like that. Because you'll never be satisfied. Ever. Never, ever. So he says, the real wealth to God is contentment. And he says, if you have your needs met, that's what he's saying when he says food and clothing, you should be content. Now, this is not an anti-prosperity message because we believe in prosperity around here. And we believe that God wants you to have more than enough. And we believe that God wants to bless you. But sometimes people will even take that message and take it the wrong way. And they start getting their joy and contentment from new cars and new clothes and new houses. And then I'll be content. And that's not true. The real wealth in the family of God is contentment. And if you have your needs met, we should be content. If God has met your needs, we should be content. Not that you don't want anything in the future, but, but how's your heart about that? What if you never got it? Would you still be content? You could still want something, but where's your heart in that? Your heart's saying, hey, if it happens, it'll be awesome, but I'm just as happy here as I'm going to be in the future because I'm content. Now, that's the right thing to think about. Now, think about this Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. We're right here. Now, this is the time of the year that they say the most suicides happen from Thanksgiving to New Year's. Why? Because people are comparing themselves to other people. And they lose all joy and contentment. Suicide is at its highest from Thanksgiving to New Year's. Because people haven't figured out that great wealth is contentment. Godliness with contentment is great wealth. Now, we got Thanksgiving next week. And let's go into this holiday season. With this mindset. If we have all our needs met. Let's be content. If God has given us what we need. Let us be content. If we have food on the table Thanksgiving. Let us be content. If we have presents under the tree. Or we get anything. Let us be content. If we don't get invited to all the New Year's parties. Let us be content. We need to get there as believers. We need to learn this because that's what great wealth is. That's what great joy and satisfaction is when it's found in God and God alone. And he says, if we have food and clothing, if we have what we need, that's what he's saying. Let us be content. Let's not constantly be craving for more and more and more because it's empty. So empty. 
this time of year for us as believers, we should be the most thankful. The most content. Because you say, hey, my life's not perfect, but hey, we got food. We got a house. We got clothing. Nobody's running around here naked or anything. We got clothes. Somebody's got to get a present. We might not get everything we want for Christmas, but we got something to give. God has blessed us enough. Let us be content, thankful people. Come on now, somebody. I know when we're talking real talk, that's not like a, everybody's like, yes. It's like, you're stepping on my toes. I really don't want to say anything right now. I'm talking to myself first. I only preach messages that God preaches to me first. So you just got inside my prayer closet and you just heard what God called me out about. Because I'm not a content person naturally. I'm not. Now, I don't think about stuff like cars and clothes and houses and all that like some other people do, but there's other areas of your life that you could not have contentment in. I think more in church terms. And I told on myself earlier, I could leave here and 30 minutes later be depressed by scrolling. <laughs> That's why he says, don't compare yourself among other people. Because you'll never win. Contentment is great gain and great wealth. So my heart is that we as a church, we're going to learn this together. We're going to grow this together. Whatever you were thinking before you came in here about what contentment means, what it means to you, hopefully this stirred you up this morning. That we would be believers that walk around like this, thankful, content, not comparing, realizing that God has given each one of us our own grace and our own gift and our own ability. And we shouldn't compare ourselves among each other because we're all unique. And God gave us all something different, not better, but different. Could we look back at Philippians before we close? Philippians 4 and verse 10. Philippians 4 and verse 10. It says how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know that you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Notice Paul, his heart. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. And I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Everything through Christ who gives me strength. Brother Darrell, could you come play for a moment? Let's stand up today.